All right, please go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As we've been in a, a series on Ephesians for a really long time, for those of you who are visiting. And last week, Easter Sunday, we talked about uh, how the Christian life is, is uh, becoming free. And we talked about the story of Lazarus from John 11 and how you accept Christ, you begin a journey, you get free, you're resurrected from the dead. Uh, and, but you come into Christ and you're a new creation, but you're still wearing a lot of grave clothes was the image of Lazarus as he came out. And we talked about how the Christian life is about getting freer and freer and freer along the way. It's a great image. And how we have to, we come along the way and you got to get, get loosed or, or taking off the grave clothes as part of a Christian growth because we, we carry around in us ways of death that stink and we're not totally free. And it's a beautiful image. And as we are in Ephesians, and we're talking here about really God's radical blueprint for you and your family, Ephesians is all about getting freer and freer and freer in Christ. And actually, the book begins in Ephesians chapter 1 with a tremendous prayer that, that the eyes of our heart might be opened, that we might know him better, we might be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, and we might know the hope to which he's called us, and, and the power that raised Christ from the dead might be in us. And, and he says, I want you to understand who you are. You're not who you were before. And um, you've been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms, and you've been adopted as his son, and the spirit of God is in you, and you're free from slavery, and, and you've been given a vision of what's going what's to come in history, that everything will be summed up in Christ. And he says, you're a masterpiece of grace. You're, 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 you're God's work of art, and you're extraordinary. And all the heavens look at you and say, what happened to this person as Christ visited their life and resurrected them from the dead, and they're a new creation, and they belong to God? And, and the whole first three chapters of Ephesians is praying that we might get it, that you're no longer dead, but you're alive. You're extraordinary. And you're saying, oh, I don't feel very extraordinary. That's the point of Ephesians. You are. You're not what you used to be. You're something new. And uh, it's regardless of your culture or your age or where you come from or your race. But now you're, you're birthed in Christ and you've been put into a new family, a family of God, a family of Jesus. And then he begins in chapter 4, begin expounding. He says, listen, in this family, there are teachers and evangelists and prophets, and you're joined together with other people, and here is where you're going to learn to live out this extraordinary life. And then Paul begins to break it apart. We've been talking about it for, for a long time, weeks. He goes, you're no longer to be an infant. You're to grow up, and you're to put off the old life and to put on your new self in Christ, chapter 4, verse 24, 25, and, and 26. And you put off lying, and you put on truth-telling. You put off anger that's inappropriate, and you put on appropriate anger that, that brings life. You put off sick worldly marriages and sexuality, and you put on the way marriage and sexuality was meant to be done. You put off false womanhood and false manhood, and you put on true womanhood and true manhood. We talked about that in cha chapter 5. And you put off words that are death, and you put on words that are life, and he, he's taking this all apart, and now he's getting to marriage, and I'm talking, now he's getting to parenting and family life. And you know, it, this, this touches the depth of our being, this verse we're going to read here in a second, because you can't airbrush this one, if I could use that phrase, you know, airbrushing. My, my wife and I went to get our picture taken a few weeks ago, and this fellow took our picture, and they put it in the computer, and then he started moving his mouse around, and he got rid of my hair that was sticking up in the back, and then he took it, and he made my gray hairs black, and then he got rid of all the stuff underneath the eyes, and Oh, I knew I was getting younger and younger by the moment. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And he, and he says, no, this is called, you know, 
touching up the photos, you know, airbrushing, you know, and, and I was astonished. Uh, and he says, you think those women on those, you know, as you go in the wall bounds and all those covers are real? I mean, I looked 15 years younger. And anyway, I said, ah, I just pushed the delete button. Let's go back to where we were, you know. And I went back to being my age. So here I am. But I was so blown away. But I was really, I was so amazed at how you can just airbrush your life and appear to be something you're not. And as Paul is taking the glories and the riches of true Christianity and Christ, and now as he's going through the book of Ephesians, he's getting deeper and deeper, and now he's into your, our families. And I'll tell you, you can't cover this one over. Maybe you can be here and you can, you know, you can hide who you are, you know, you know, to your friends and your workmates, you know. But I'll tell you, when you get down to family life and parenting and kids, forget it. It's all over. This is where your Christianity is rubber-hitting road. And that's where Paul is here in this verse. He said, now we're talking about you're going to be extraordinary, but really in your home, behind closed doors, when the pressure's on and the stress is hitting. And so the verse here we're going to read is the one we used two weeks ago. This is like, really like part two, where he says in chapter 6, verse 4, he says, fathers, now again, the word for fathers here could be mothers and fathers together. So parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's the verse. Very simple verse, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't do like you, was maybe done to you. Okay, well, you were parented because you're now in the family of Jesus and things are totally different here. But you are going to bring them up. Now, literally, it means you're going to nourish and care and put energy into this to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take that little verse and we are, we are going to go like into a well. We're going to go deep. What does that even mean? And let me tell you something, it's more than having devotions with your kids at dinner or making them go to church. And this applies not simply to parents in this room, it applies to, to you with your spouse if you're married, or you as a single person at your workplace and with your parents or with your friends. The, 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 things we're talk about, the things we're gonna talk about today apply to being an adult that's mature, that's in Christ, that brings the Lord wherever they go in relationships. But they're specifically talking to here to parents and, and family life. And so. Um, I, I want to unpack this deeply, and uh, again, uh, we're all called, I believe, to be spiritual fathers and mothers, and to impact the self-worth and the life of people around us, and, and uh, it's really about all relationships. So Paul knows this. He knows that unless there's an intervention from God above, you will do parenting, and you will do family life. In fact, you'll do all relationships just like you were parented. Paul knows unless God intervenes, you will parent the way you were parented, or, or you will do relationships the way you did relationships, the way your parents and family did relationships. Now, I know, for, my, for example, for myself, you know, I would, my, my parents generally were absent and uh, was not parented very much. My parents were not intentional, and so I, I absorbed a lot of faulty messages about parenting. Uh, and it's been a very long journey for me uh, as a father in particular, even as a pastor of a church, and then even as a, in small groups and creating healthy church family. A very long journey for me to untwist those messages and to put off and to put on. What I want to say to you is when you put off and put on in, in that level, you're really getting to deep transformation because it's so difficult. It's so heavy. It's so imprinted in us because you will do the same thing your parents did unless you intentionally allow God to change you deeply. And so I'm calling this message, you know, God's 
blueprint, radical blueprint for you, because it is radical for all of us in this room, for you and your family. And I like the word blueprint, because think of blueprints for a building, they're, they're kind of like, the, they're a the plan. And uh, you know, this building, for example, has, has blueprints and a plan of how it all fits together. And you can paint some walls, but it's not deeply affecting the whole structure of the building. And the reason I'm calling this blueprint, because I'm going to talk to you not about some external changes like have devotions every day and read the Bible and pray together, all of which are fine. I want to try to go deeper into the, the, the core of the blueprint of you and the way you operate as a parent, if you're a parent here, and the way you operate in your relationships and what it means to really have that redone by God. Because if that gets redone, the whole building is different. And I don't want to just airbrush over the issues and think everything is fine when it's really not. So, because you were shaped, again, by your experience in your family. So, for example, just, just think with me for a moment. What, what was the atmosphere of your family growing up? You know, what was the climate? You know, what was it like? You know, was it positive or on a scale? Was it negative? You know, by positive, I mean, was it affirming? Did people, you know, affirm you? Was there positives, you know, that were uh, encouraged? Or did, were they filtered out and only the negative seen? You know, was your family friendly or was it hostile? I mean, friendly, I mean, were you allowed to be, was it approachable? Were you allowed to disagree with each other respectfully? Uh, or was it angry and tense? You know, was the atmosphere in your family cooperative, where it was a win-win, even when somebody loses, where there was no put-downs, or was it competitive, and where there was, it wasn't respect for other people's dignity? You know, was your family close, interested in each other, and emotional connection, or was it distant, you know, kind of apathetic, and everybody did their own thing, uh, not interested? Was your family calm, safe, allowed to make mistakes? Or was it tense, where it was unsafe and unpredictable reactions, you never quite knew what was going to happen? Was your family fun? That is, did they enjoy being together, uh, play together? Or was it just overly serious on the other end of the spectrum, where it was devoid of all play and enjoyment? And so it's important to reflect on what did you absorb and how family was done growing up? which is now in you. Now, here's the great news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ comes in your life. Do you understand? It's a new day. And so that may be in you, but it no longer controls you. And now the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living inside of you. He's inside of you. And he's now placing you in a new family where you are to learn God's radical blueprint. That's why we all leave our cultures and we all leave our families and we're part of the new family of Jesus. And we are now in a learning process together as a church to do it his way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four elements of this blueprint and uh, of what it means to, to bring up others in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does it mean to nourish and, and uh, feed? Because this blueprint is, is informed by four areas. In fact, write this down some. Just write these four words down because you're going to come back to them. I'm going to ask you to ponder them during the week. The first has to do with uniqueness. The second has to do with safety. The third has to do with feelings, and the fourth has to do with power. And I will unpack them in just a moment. But do you understand, you have to get it as an adult first from God in a proper way. Maybe from God, from other people, the body of Christ, resources. You get it. My uniqueness, safety, 
proper feelings, power. Then as I'm parenting or trying to serve other people, I can give it away to children. And then the third step is I'm now disciplining or watching my children hopefully now do it with other people. That's the parenting process, which is very difficult. But I can't even get to teaching them how to do it unless I first have it in me. Then I can hopefully give it to them and they can give it to other people. But many of us as adults, we've tried to teach children things that we have not yet learned ourselves. And you know it doesn't work real well. I mean, kids are, are geniuses at picking up hypocrisy. I mean, they're amazing, especially teenagers. I mean, that balcony over there, they know what's going on. You know, you, you all experienced it. You know, you, someone's yelling at you. You, know, you, can't, you can't control your temple, te- temper, and you're yelling and saying, you know, control yourself. You know, don't you dare yell at me. You know, you're yelling at them. You know, and, uh, you know, don't question my authority. You know, this mom was home with her four-year-old daughter, and uh, she gets a phone call from a friend inviting her to dinner. And she goes, no, no, I can't come today. I don't feel well. And the daughter says, Mama, are you sick? She's all worried. Oh, Mom, are you okay? And she goes, no, I'm fine. You know, at the shank of the phone. And the mom says, don't worry about it. And so the little daughter's a little confused. You know, she was out playing her sandbox. You know, she's playing. And the mom says, you know, after lunch, come on in. And the daughter says, I, I can't come in. I'm sick. <laughs> and the mother goes out and starts yelling at her. You know, and it's a true story, actually. I'll teach you to disobey me, and are you going to be punished, you know, arrogant old worm, you know? And a child, you know, the child is just imitating her, right? And a better response would have been when the daughter says, Mama, are you sick? A better response would have been for the mom to say, just honestly, I'm not sick. I told that woman that because I did not want to go to dinner with her. And I did not want to hurt her feelings because it's hard for me to say no to people. So I lie that way. And I need to learn better ways of speaking the truth to people than that. So uh, maybe, you, maybe you, you can, we can learn together. You know, something like that, something honest at least. But the idea of giving away what we don't possess, possess is such an illusion. And uh, we try it often as parents. We try it in a Christian life as well. So well, let's take it apart now. And I want to take each one apart. Today's message could be an entire weekend seminar. It's, so, it's, it's hitting such a rich core of what is healthy family-like. But I think this whole parenting and, and radical blueprint for us is worth pondering. So first is, a, we're going to have a blueprint that's informed by uniqueness. Now again, let, let's stop and just pause. And Uniqueness is a key word here to, to understand a, a person's sense of self. Our self comes out of our uniqueness. Now we're all similar as human beings, but we're all very unique, each individual. And, and Scripture affirms that over and over again, our, our uniqueness. You know, Psalm 139, I put up there, verse 13 and 14. You know, David sings, you, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And see, even infants need to be taught this at the very beginning of their lives. In fact, there's, there's nobody like you on the earth. You're, you're so unique. And you were woven together in the depths of the earth. Psalm 139, 15, you're... You were you fashioned, you were embroidered or with complexity and detail and process and time and, and with, with, a, with a unique physical and emotional and you know, interior structure. There's no other Eric. You know, there's no other Susan. It's you. And, 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 and this idea of, a, of uniqueness that a child or every human being, every child, every per- person is a human being. 
I mean, they're, they're actually a person, whether they're an infant or two or five or 15 or 30 or 50 or 80, that when we're discussing any issues, I was in a conflict last week between two people in our church last week, and I realized that they were discussing an issue, and it really wasn't the issue, it was the fact that, does this person have a right to be a human being with a different point of view? That was really the core issue here. Because for this other person, with, I disagreed with this other one, it's like, it didn't matter what he thought. It's just, you're wrong, change, that's it. There was no sense of uniqueness of this other person with another reality and a whole other life story. And uh, every human being feels all through life, you know, from birth to death. That's what makes them unique. We, we can feel anger and sorrow and shame and fear and love and disappointment. And developing our own sense of uniqueness is so basic to any sense of self-worth. And without, if you don't have a sense of uniqueness, what happens, you're just like a robot, just like a doing machine, like a computer, like a, uh, like a slave. You're not a human being without a sense of uniqueness. So here's my question to you. When you grew up in your family, whatever you grew up in, in your family of origin, was it safe to be unique? You know, they say there's 247 ways to wash dishes. I read that, okay? But you know how it's easy, as a parent, there's only one way to do the dishes. And you're going to rinse before you wash, and, you know, and it's like you're a dummy if you don't do it. What are you doing putting them that way? And, and I know best. And, and it's so easy to have hopes and dreams for our children that are not about our children. They're really about us. And we put them in a straitjacket. And for example, I, you know, we want our children, my, I want our children to be musicians, uh, whether they want to or not, because I love music. Or I want them to be an athlete, because I love athletics. Or I want them to be really smart in school, because I, I want to be really smart in school. You know, I, I, loved, I loved piano growing up. I took piano lessons. It was really interesting, because I, I, my family was very musical on my father's side. And so I took classical piano for, for five, six years. And, and I just, I was like, you know, I wanted to play pop. I wanted to play what was on the radio, you know? And, um, but, you know, my parents were parenting as they were parented, which is basically, uh, you don't have choices as a child. You do what we say. That's the end of that. And I was saying, begging them, please, let me just, I want to play Beatle music. I want to play, I just want to play something normal, you know? And, and uh, but for them, it was, a, it was, no, no. I mean, just, you're, going to do it. This is the way it's going to be done. It's the way it's always been done in my family, and you're going to do it. And I, you know what happened? I quit it. I never touched the piano for many, many, many years because that, there, was no, there was no room for anything unique, the way even to approach an instrument. I mean, this was it. And uh, you know what it's like? You say, I did my best. And, you try, and, and as a parent, you say, no, you didn't. And you have no, no it's, it's just because you have such a need. It's not about treasuring that uniqueness of their best may actually be a C and not an A. Or their best may be to be second string, not first string, you know, on the team. Uh, and so what happens, I end up making book learners out of people who are not book learners, and athletes out of folks who are not athletes. And, and where I, uniqueness is about giving children room and encouragement to prefer something different than us, like different colors for rooms, and different dress and activities, and different thoughts and beliefs. We had a, you know, See, here's, here's, here's the issue. If I don't get this from God first, I get my uniqueness. It took me years to get free enough to be a pastor that didn't have to be like other pastors. 
I felt guilty and struggled so much to just be me as a leader of a church. I got certain gifts and strengths and weaknesses, and it just is what it is. And just be myself. It was such a difficult journey for me because I, I didn't have any sense of affirmation of uniqueness. It was tr- criticism. You didn't do it a certain way. And, and so it was a journey. But, it, but how can I give it to my kids if I don't even have it in me? I end up putting them in straight jackets all the time. And so when somebody disagrees and has their own thoughts and feelings that I don't agree with, I just shut them down. And they know it ain't safe here, which we'll get to in just a second. So, so and then, understand, then we raise children, and then we want to help our children accept the uniquenesses of other people. Do you understand? That's the parenting process, that they get this value in their blueprint. And so, as you know, even watching you know, brother and sisters accept each other's differences is quite a challenge, isn't it, for those of your parents? And, uh, and classmates... And then you got issues of church family, right? Think of, you're in a church now, and we're all different. And we want to accept each other's uniqueness and differences, but we don't accept our own uniqueness and differences. And all of a sudden, it's like the church is a straitjacket. So a blueprint, a core, fundamental element of a blueprint of healthy family and parenthood is this issue of uniqueness. So when someone says, yeah, man, you are, you're, you're different, you know, in a bad way. Oh, man, you're different. And you say, gee. You want to say, gee, thank you for noticing. <laughs> but what courage for a child to say that, huh, to their friends. All right, let's move on, because they're, they're related. The second blueprint informed by this issue of safety. And I want you to ponder with me for a minute the safety of the gospel, of Christianity. Because we come to Christ Jesus in a place of such, we're unique it's safe to be unique and such safety. And that's, that's the love of God. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3, may you, may you know, I pray you might grasp the power of God to know the height and depth and breadth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now here's the parable of the prodigal son. You know, this is the picture of safety that Jesus gives us of the father. While he was still a long way off, the prodigal son had ruined his life and rejected God and had a belief system all wrong. He was doing things the opposite of the way the father wanted. He finally comes back. The father sees him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and the word there is kissed him, but he repeatedly kisses him. And talk about safety, as Jesus paints a picture of of the father, that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that, that we stand before God in Christ's righteousness, a free gift, and, and God runs to you regardless of what you've done or believed, and, and he kisses us. Talk about safety. There's no other world religion like it. Nothing's ever existed like Christianity. Our God who is so safe that anybody can come. No matter where you've been, not shaming you, not blaming you, not putting you in a corner as a slave, but, but running to you in safety and hugging you and kissing you. What a picture. Oh, I love it. So, so when you think, when you, what do you assume God feels when you come to his mind? Disgust, disappointment, anger, frustration? Listen, when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart. Big smile comes to his face. He bursts in love for human beings like you. And the God we worship loves sinners. He redeems failures. He delights in second chances and fresh starts, and he never tires of running after lost sheep. He waits for prodigal children, and he rescues those who've been damaged by life and who've made bad choices for themselves. 
And the great distinctive of Christianity is the love of God has no strings attached. God simply loves humans. He loves you. And he created us for a love relationship with himself. And that's why Jesus came and he died for us. And, and nothing you can do will change his love for you. It's beautiful. He's safe. He is so safe. Now let me ask you, how safe was your family growing up? What's imprinted in you? For example, here's, a, here's the best question we know of to get at this issue of safety. Think of when you cried or when you were hurt uh, or in some kind of distress. How were you comforted? Or, or were you comforted at all when you're in distress? Some of us were not. Think of when a child spills milk. Five-year-old kid, you know, spills a big thing of milk on the floor. You know, and so, now there's no universal way of treating something like that. But, you know, is it a disaster? You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. You slob. You're going to be a slob when you grow up, you know. Or, you know, a child's, you know, the... Parents have friends over, and you know the kids bringing the glasses over with the water, you know, or the wine, you know, and bam, drops it, big mess on the floor, glass all over, you know, and and, and you know, parent just says, "What's wrong with you?" You know, and just like he shames the kid, and just it's not safe to make a mistake, you know. A kid comes home with a C on the test, you know, and just it's just what go upstairs right now, you know, it's not safe, you know, and so is it safe to be different? Was it safe for you? Or let me ask you this. Is it safe to be around you? And you see, healthy families, healthy churches, healthy small groups, you know, they're able to, to be safe places where we actually listen and validate and appropriate touch and affection and ask questions. But, you know, parents, the children, are you safe? And, uh, you know, how often our children make choices for their lives? And the question is, is there a line you know, the kids know, they go past that line, it's just not safe. I mean, it's interesting, you know, my Italian-Americans, you were very safe for a while. You know, you come in the home and you feel, oh, what love, what love, but it's really all an illusion because there's a certain box, you know, and you go outside those lines and you're out. And, uh, you know, in some families, it's, you know, there are Democrats, and if you come in and you say you're Republican, you're finished, you know, it's just you're out. They love you to death before that moment. But my family, you know, it's, it's like this, there's certain rules. And my brother, at the age of 19, uh, rebelled against my father, quit college, which was un totally unacceptable. He just quit school. And, and I'll never forget, my father called a family meeting, you know, and said, hey, listen, Anthony is dead. You know, it was just like he declared it, you know, and he, 15 years. 15 years, his name was not to be mentioned in the home. Now, I'm sitting there saying, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm 14, 15. I got the, it ain't safe. It is not safe here. It was clear, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, for some of us, we're safe. We're, we're very safe people as long as the people around us agree with us. Our children know they're safe as long as we, they do what we want. And you better be a Christian, you know, or you're out of here. Well, all right, I'll, I accept Christ, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, do you understand, if your, our safety comes first with I receive it, so I've got to get it from hopefully... Jesus Christ first. I get it from my Father in heaven. And then hopefully we're trying to create a community here. We're all coming in here, and none of us feel safe, right? Here we are, boom, trying to create a safe, healthy community here where we're, we're experiencing safety, resourcing each other. And now we're parenting children to help them feel safe and, and, and the uniqueness of other, other people. And so I, it's so interesting because, you see, the great challenge of parenting is 
We give our kids, hopefully trying to give them safety. Then we want them to be safe for their friends. But as you know, teenagers and junior hires and grammar school kids, they're notoriously judgmental. You wear the wrong clothes in that grammar school, your elementary school, PS43. I mean, they're going after you, right? And so, you know, I, I, you want them, we want them to be safe about people's differences. So you say, hey, you know, I watch my kids say, oh, oh, you know, you're from where? Kansas? Oh, man. Are you, you know what's going on in life? You know, you, you hillbilly, you know, it's like, wait, wait. You know, I realize I, I create children who are now going out there unsafe. And so the great work of parenting is like being honest and, and taking the time and energy to say, you know, when you said that, it came off really, you know, arrogant and judgmental. That's why parenting is so exhausting. But again, how do we even begin that when we ourselves are, are over here? You know, I, I was with my cousin uh, two days ago. Jerry and I took him to lunch, and he's Down syndrome. He's, he's a couple of years younger than me. And, um, you know, I remember as we were at lunch how much as a kid I, I did not, I was so unsafe for him because he was Down syndrome and thus, you know, speech and physically and, and embarrassed by him and just versus just valuing his uniqueness. I mean, I was his cousin I wasn't safe. You know, we're sitting there for lunch, and I realized, I mean, what an important parenting issue. My Down syndrome first cousin can be safe, really safe, and uh, at least with his family, my gosh. And I was really struck by that versus, you know, just his uniqueness as he's got a really sharp intellect on certain things like numbers and birthdays, and it's amazing, actually, and, and uh, you know, unique, unique strengths. And what would it have been like for your caretakers or your parents to have been able to express their humanity. I mean, like, their humanity in a sense of that they make mistakes. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, the, the answer is I think the difference it would have made for many of us, it would have been a safer place versus you know it all. and There's kind of a huge distance between us. So anyway, that's secondly. This blueprint has got to have uniqueness and to, to grow up kids in the Lord because the Lord himself is so safe. The third has to do with feelings. It's closely related to, to this issue of um, safety. And, and I just use Jesus here as, a, as an example. Jesus was so comfortable with people's feelings, regardless of what they were. I mean, he just was amazing. And if you look, read through the Gospels, and people are having all kinds of reactions around him, highs and lows. And here's a story in Mark 5, 34, of the woman who, with the issue of blood, and her whole life is falling apart, and you know, and she gets healed, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and, and she's, a, she's trembling with fear. She's a mess, you know, and, and she tells him the whole truth. He says, and he says to her, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. And he just, he just talk about he affirms her uniqueness. He, he affirms her, her, he's safe to her, but her feelings, just, she just, he allows her to feel and touches her. Now, part of our humanity of made in God's image is we feel. Now, you're not going to feel when you're dead. When we touch you and you're dead, you're no movement. But being alive means you feel. That's, part, that's what it means to be alive. You're not just a doing machine, busy 24-7. You're not just here to produce and uh, to get a good SAT score. Uh, you're a loved human being. You're, you're a person who feels. And like David after God's own heart in the Psalms who expresses his full range of feelings, a blueprint of raising kids in the, in the Lord is that they're allowed to be human and to feel. Even emotions that we were uncomfortable with. The full range, just like David bringing it to God. With sadness, anger, hurt, disappointment. Which feelings were off limits to you growing up? What feelings? You could not go there. Or else you got a major reaction. You know, some of us, our own parents didn't allow 
to development of emotions because they, didn't, they, didn't, they were uncomfortable themselves with hurt and joy and laughter. So you're crying, don't cry, you cry baby. You know, or, or, or you're, you're, you're angry or sad, but no one's taking it seriously. And, you know, I, I just know, how do you feel? You know, shut up, just get up and do what you got to do. And uh, versus you're angry and a parent actually coming and saying, what is going on? You know, what's happening? And trying to get behind that anger to the fear and the hurt and, and exploring it. And, and instead of seeing the anger of a child as, as a sign of disrespect all the time, saying, maybe there's something going on here. And if I can just be non-anxious and safe and allow this kid to share with me, we can go somewhere. But some of you know what it's like to grow up in an environment where you, maybe you, you, want, you complain or you're expressing a preference, and you hear things like, that's ridiculous. You know, only babies complain. Or if you did what you were told, you wouldn't be so miserable. Or you fall down, you know, get up, it doesn't hurt. And if you're disappointed, you're being selfish and ungrateful. You should appreciate what we're doing for you. And, you know, and, and uh, we, we, what do we do when our children are disappointed by something we don't think they should be disappointed by? You know, I never got a toy growing up like that. You, know, you're, you want a bigger one? I got nothing, you know, and... And we're mad at them. Versus just validating the fact that they have their own history in life that's just different than ours. And if you wanted to buy the train for them with all these rules, you should have bought your own train and let them play with it. Versus calling it their train, but it's really your train. Because it's not allowing them to feel and be unique and be safe. All right, let me just close the last one here. And this issue of power. Power is so vast. God creates us with power. It's wonderful. Genesis 1.28. And, uh, you know, God blesses, us, blesses humanity and says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue is a word for power. It's to take your, your ability of, of decision-making and responsibility and control and move into life and subdue it and act on it. And, and it really, it's essential to every human being the sense of power. And it means literally to be able to bring an effect on things around you. It's really a big theme in Ephesians. I mean, this issue of power. Paul keeps saying, you've got power, you've got power. Big thing in parenting is this issue of power. It's really, it's quite complex. I mean, if you were abused growing up, if you, and I'm sure a certain number of this group this size, whether it was physical abuse, terrific beatings, or sexual abuse, uh, or emotional abuse, uh, that is, is a, a destruction of power. It's a misuse of power and just, and so you grow up into adulthood with tremendous damage of my power wires are all screwed up because I didn't have any growing up. And so there's body power. Think about it. There's, there's intellectual power, the ability to think. There's emotional power, the power to, to feel emotionally. There's material power, to, power to negotiate my environment. There's social power, the ability to interact with people and connect. There's spiritual power, the ability to connect with God. I mean, it's when we talk about power, we're talking about things like responsibility and control, decision-making. But if I haven't developed my own sense of power, I can't tolerate yours either. And what happens as parents, we get very scared as kids get older and start exercising power, and we start flipping out. It's very scary to parents when children are exercising power, but I don't have a sense of my own power. And so again, I get it from God. And hopefully I'm growing and maturing, and, uh, and then I'm able to help my children grasp their power and then have them exercise it in an appropriate way. Now, if you grew up in a parent, and I know this, a, a, an overbearing mom, for example, there's, and you, you can't do this, and super protective, in a sense, that the, the destroys this child's growth in power. And so, 
Most family, control and authority and power is assumed only to be with the parent. And, you know, I'm pa- I parent, you child, obey, and be controlled. And so what happens, a child grows up into adult and does not know how to use power and runs into all kinds of problems as an adult. And, and so parents, the goal is to help children discover their own power, the limits of that power, and, and how to use it. So, for example, I come home, this isn't true. Jerry says, I walk in the door, you idiot, you idiot, you know. I'm like, oh, all right, now, issue of power, right? Now i got a choice. I can start yelling at her back. Well, you're, you're an idiot too sometimes, you know. you know. You make mistakes too, you know. You know. Or I can just, you know, shut down emotionally and just go in the other room. Or I can, oh, you're right, you're right, you know, you know just, just bow, appease her. You're right, I just, I am, I'm, I'm an idiot, you're right, you know, just, and just throw all power down on the ground. Now, you see, when these things happen, they happen to us all the time, don't they? How much control do I have over myself and over you and over the situation I'm in, and how can I use my power in a way that you, maybe you've influenced me, but you're not controlling my life? And so I say, you know what, honey? I love you, I appreciate you, but you know what? I'd really appreciate you wouldn't speak to me like that, and I'm not going to allow you to speak to me like that again, okay? If you want to say something to me about something I did wrong, I'd appreciate if you say it this way. But I basically level the whole situation. I exert my power in an appropriate way because I've used, I know my own self-worth power, my uniqueness, my safety, my sense of safety, my sense of feeling. And so now I can exercise power and not let this person roll right over me. And, uh, but when you feel powerless and helpless as an adult, the question is, where does that come from? Because you've been given power for life from God. And so what's scary is in some families, the four-year-old has all the power, (laughs) controls the entire family, and she's four. Sleeps between the parents for the next five years, you know. And parents can feel like doormats. And you're not doing your children any favors by being a bad model of power for them. And so there are seasons of parenting which are very challenging as, as kids get older, us as parents, our power decreases and their power increases. Whether babies or you know, young adults, children, teenagers, young adults. And I was talking to some parents before at the church. I said, listen, your, your ch- child will accept or reject Jesus Christ. They will decide what they want to do as they grow older. They're now adults. And it's their choice. And the question is, are you going to love them if they choose to not follow Christ? They become a Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever. They're atheistic. They don't want anything to do with God. I mean, they're finished. And can you, just, can you be safe for them? I love you. And they just like, no way. I'm like, no, that's the issue here, isn't it? Can you allow them to have their own power and decision-making? How did God feel as father when Adam quit? I'm out of here. I mean, break the heartbreak. But, but that's appropriate use of power versus, no, you, I'm not going to allow you to have that kind of power to make your own decisions about whether you want to be a Christian or not or follow Christ. So really, it's a challenge of letting people actually, the issue of power is, is, is issues of letting people make mistakes. It's really hard. Letting children fail. Let them try their own, solve their own problems. It's much like a healthy church life, believe me. And, uh, and so then our children hopefully will feel safe in using their power. And uh, I, my concern, my fear is I watch my own kids, they take away other people's power. You watch your kids take away other kids' power, and as they grow into adulthood, it's really scary. They don't accept differences. They don't accept uniquenesses. They're totally unsafe, and they're wielding their power inappropriately. That, friends, is the great challenge of parenting is getting in there. But beautiful is that God's gospel gives us all power to change. 
Do you realize that you are not destined for whatever you grew up in? But even in the pain of your life can be a gift of now as you're an adult that you've learned some things, but God's called you to be uniqueness, safe, firm feelings, and power. And that we give that to everybody around us. It's such a beautiful vision. Now, I want to encourage all you parents here, get rid of guilt. There are no perfect parents. Amen on that, all right? Amen, parents? Okay. You get overwhelmed. You look at that list. You're like, oh, man, get me out of here, you know? My wife said, you're going to preach that? I said, yeah, by faith, you know, I'm preaching. <laughs> the key to good parenting is at least we're moving in the right direction. We're just we're moving. And uh, the problem is when we as parents, we haven't finished our own adolescence, and then we try to fake it. You try to fake it with teenagers, just tell them the truth. Just be honest, because they know anyway, you know. And so our verse is, you know, fathers, you know, don't exasperate your children. Don't do it the old way. Put it off. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Put this on. And this is a template, really. In a sense, safety is all through all four of these. Safe, 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 safe. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you an exercise right now. We're going to do something as we close here. Because I recognize if we don't do something with this, it's all just words. So I want to share with you, uh, some of you are familiar with the daily temperature reading. We've been reworking this for the last uh, month or so, or two months. Uh, the daily temperature reading, we're, we're kind of in the process of still redoing it for the pastor's conference in, in two weeks. But uh, I'm actually going to give you a sheet you're going to pick up on your way out to do an assignment at home. But we're going to do it right here first, and I'm going to explain it. It's called now a group temperature reading. And if we were going to take a temperature of your family in the present right now, what would that temperature be? Cold, warm, hot. I'm talking about the temperature inside of yourself, between you, among you. Because the key here is we're going to put off and put on. And so what this is, is this is a very simple um, little exercise. And we're just going to do the last one, actually. Uh, so you don't need to write this down because you could pick up the sheet on the way out. So it begins by, uh, you know, I appreciate, uh, by sharing an appreciation. So generally, we only express appreciation when somebody goes beyond the call of duty. Isn't it true? And as you know, if you're a parent, children rarely go beyond the call of duty. You ever notice that? <laughs> and so we don't ever say, we appreciate that because you just do what you're supposed to do anyway. And if it's not a problem, we don't want to talk about it. So this, this, is, this is very easy to understand. It's very difficult to do consistently. Try it in your workplace. Try it with your friends. Try it in your small group. Be consistently appreciating people. Okay, number two is worries and concerns and puzzles. And, and the reason we do this is, again, we're creating another, and actually another family culture where very often children and other people don't express their worries because they don't want to appear stupid. So what I want to say, I'm really concerned about this because you know, I don't want to say stupid, I just shut my mouth. And part of this is, is giving people permission to, to be unique and be themselves and it's safe to be worried and concerned. The third is complaints you know, and possible solutions. And, and, and again, part of power is you're, you're forcing people to say, w take responsibility for what you're worried about, what's bothering you, and use your power maturely. And you know, I don't like this, I prefer this, make a recommendation. But it's a, it's a training of this new, healthy family of safety and uniqueness. You know, and then new, new information that nobody feels excluded. What's new in your life? You know, and, and nobody feels passed over because being heard gives us a greater sense of uniqueness. And some of us don't know what it's like to be heard. But the last one is the one I want us to do today. It's called Hopes and Wishes. And actually, I'm going to ask you to do this this week once with your children. If you're a parent here, you're going to sit down and ask your children this. Uh, and if you're, if you're not a parent, you'll do it with your spouse. If you're single, you'll do it at your place of work. 
but you'll ask people what their hopes and dreams are. But many of us have learned not to talk about our hopes and our wishes. And the encourage, keeping dreams alive is so essential to being a human being made in the image of God. Your dreams are your hopes for yourself. When your dreams are gone, you've become almost like a vegetable. It's indifferent and resigned. and It's like you're a robot. It's like you're, it's just like you're dying early because there's no more hopes or, or, or dreams. And sadly, families are often the place where dreams die. And families are often the last place we'll share a dream for fear of being shut down. Oh, I know you. So I'm going to ask you to do it with your family this week. And many adults I know have turned their backs on their dreams. Uh, and you say, what difference is it going to make anyway? It won't happen. And so we don't even allow ourselves to dream anymore. So what I'm going to invite you to do right now is, uh, you see that little sentence, I, I hope that and I wish that. Uh, it can be a little wish or hope. Like this week, I really hope to have, you know, two mornings by myself without any responsibilities to be with God. Or I just really hope to be able to go up to the cloisters, up in Manhattan, just to be alone, you know, for a couple of hours during lunch this week. I really just hope to get an extra day, whatever it might be. Could be this week, could be another job. You know, I really hope, I really hope that God opens his door for me with this job I've been longing for, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it might be. It could be long-term moving. And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to a person next to you. I'm going to give you only two minutes for this. If, you, if you're with a family member or a friend, team up with them, okay? If you're not, I know it's going to be hard for you introverts. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, say, hi, my name is Joe. You, know, you don't have to give your life story, you know, but just I want to invite you to do this exercise and share a hope and a dream with them and listen to theirs. You know, I hope, I wish to. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say go. And I'm going to ask you higher extroverts to help the higher introverts. And, uh, but you can't move around too much because there's too many of us in this room. And I want you to turn to somebody. Balcony is more difficult to do. And I want you to share a hope and a wish. All right? Begin. Please, God, I'll tell you when two minutes is up. Okay. Come on back this direction. So here is your assignment. To keep this, not just to be another nice little sermon, maybe, you know, that by tomorrow you'll be saying, what was that, what was that sermon on? So on your way out, there's going to be a sheet. And I'm sorry, it's a rough draft and all, but enough that you can see it. It's called a group temperature reading, and it'll have those five elements on it. And kind of a sentence stem to begin each one. But I want you really just to do the last sentence stem, hopes and wishes. And I want to ask you to do it with a person this week. Or if you manage a group of people at work, maybe you're in your school, maybe you do it in your classroom if you're a teacher. Just do it for like five minutes. And... And you just watch what comes out. Because you realize, Paul prays in Ephesians 1. He goes, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. We were created to dream and hope. And something just comes alive even saying it, doesn't it? It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. All these forces come to shut you down. So I want to encourage you to take one of this and just do it this week once, all right? And, and we'll give you a better one if we finish tightening it up. And we'll teach the whole thing. And because uh, we were actually, actually, as we're, Jerry and I have been on this whole journey realizing that in some ways it's easy to understand this material, but the great challenge is to do it consistently. Because if no one ever appreciated you, and maybe you do it once, it's like, oh, I did it, you know, but do it consistently, you know, or hope and dream consistently, or 
You know, be able to just, even something as simple as a group temperature reading is such a radically different way of functioning in relationship with other people with uniqueness and safety and feeling and power properly uh, delineated. So I want you to stand with me. And uh, there's a great song we're going to sing. And it's called Hosanna. Now, I hope you know that the word Hosanna is, a, is the Hebrew word for praise the Lord. And uh, the words of the song is about hope is rising and uh, hearts are yearning for you. So let, let, the, let God just resuscitate your heart and let your heart come alive in hope towards him and hope for what he's got for your life, all right? Let's close with this theme of safety, all right? It's safe in the arms and the presence of God. And you know where you are and what internally this has kicked up inside of you. Of, I, I know for some it's so, you say, Pete, this is such a dramatic change. This is, this is so far from anything that I am because of where I come from. I just, you know, uniqueness and feeling and safety and power. It's all messed up inside of me and all my relationships as well. And I can't even imagine what it will take to untwist something like that. And I got news, good news for you. The, the way to untwist it is God. That's why he brought you here, because he's loved you, and he's come here to set you free, to become the woman he's called you to be, the man he's called you to be, the single person, the married person, the father, the mother, the single parent. That's why, why you're here. That's why you're part of a new family, because he's come here to set you free and take the grave clothes off. And it really is power from a supernatural place. It's not, this is not therapy. This is not earthly. This is God from heaven coming in. And so he is safe to come to today as we close. And whatever's going on inside of you, and let us pray for you and lay hands on you and the power of prayer to, to begin that process in you to set you free, that you're actually become a man or woman that, that does this for other people. Realize what a gift will be to everywhere we go tomorrow with this inside of us, that we could begin to live this out. But it's so counter-cultural and counterintuitive for us. So the altar is going to be open, and I want to invite you to come for prayer, and we will pray with you. All right? So let's pray. Bow your heads with me for a moment. And, Open up your hearts and maybe your hands up towards heaven and just receive a blessing as we go. And so, Lord, I pray that your face would shine upon everyone here. Because, Lord, it's safe to receive the shining of your glory on our face as we lift up our faces to you. We open up our hearts to you. May your peace, O oh God, fill each person here in this room. As we go, and may the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the person of the Holy Spirit, change and transform the deepest places inside of us. That we become these kind of people. like We would be like you, oh God, in the way that we love ourselves and love others. So I bless you as you go from this place on this journey with Christ. And Lord, move in power at this altar area as we pray for one another and as we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.